All right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how are you? I'm doing fine. I have to tell you, you're doing all right, all right, all right, which is Matthew McConaughey, right? Yes. From which movie? Uh, from Dazed and Confused. Okay, so I was just reading it. You have to read this. Uh, it was a GQ article about him because I love him. I think he's amazing. He is. And and he says that people come up to him all the time and do that. All and right, he's, all and, right, and, and all so right. the interviewer is like, what do you, you know, what do, you do when they do it? He says, I just do it right back. I he, he has he's, no choice. Yeah, he's, that's what he said. He said, I have yeah. no choice. Well, What's so, great about it is he seems to enjoy his job of being a superstar. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna love this. He lives in Texas. Well, he has lives in Texas and also in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, before they did the uh, interview, he made the GQ guy paddleboard with him for four hours. Oh wow! Yeah, so he's your kind of guy. Oh, it's exactly yeah, that's exactly yeah, the kind yeah, of thing I would do. Yeah. If GQ ever interviewed me, not gonna happen. But if they ever did. I would go paddleboarding with they, the guy. They will now because they love to paddleboard and do <laughs> interviews. There you go. Okay, our show today is pretty fantastic. Our guest is none other than Dr. Mike Dow. He is a he is a therapist. He's a PhD. He's got his bona fides, and he is currently the author of Chicken Soup for the Souls: Think, Act, and Be Happy. He's going to tell us all about how to use the power of positive thinking to help with our mood, our depression, weight loss. Basically, everything you want to do, how to hack your brain into being a better version of yourself. It's pretty fantastic. But first, I want to tell you guys how you can see us. If you guys want to see wait, us wait, live. Wait, wait, wait. I just have to say one thing. I'm sorry. What, I'm, what, I'm, what, what? You. We were just in a meeting today. I was interrupting everybody again. Everybody. I know. Sorry. Uh, anyway, um, this whole thing about thinking positively. Yes. I am so, I know. the whole cancer thing and all the rest I of that. Know. You know, I am such a big fan of that. But you were given a tip. On one of your pieces, right, in the podcast, you're giving a tip about how you should go. To, if you go to the gym and you smile, uh-huh. right, that the, you'll work out harder and the workout won't seem half as half as difficult. Right. So, you know, you and I work out really early. So I'm there. I'm at the gym at 5 o'clock uh-huh. when it opens. Uh-huh. And I'm in there and I tried this. I tried your tip. Uh-huh. And I'm smiling. And I'm uh-huh. walking around. I had two of the people, two of the trainers come up and ask me if I was okay. Yeah. Because, because I, you look crazy they, if you're smiling they, they at 5 o'clock they, in the morning. They, they were checking to see if my smile was, <laughs> was, was like droopy on the left side to see if I'd had a stroke. Because I did. So thanks for the tip. Yeah, you're but welcome. I'm going to wait till later in the day. Uh, also, if you're ever going to use the leg abductor machine, <laughs> no, I don't do, do not smile. That's the one where you, you, have to, you have to force your legs together. That's not a fun so, one. I'm sorry. I interrupted you again. Go ahead. You had something well, to say. Well, no. So get excited about the Michael Dow interview. It's coming up in a second here. But uh, You're going to learn how to think your way to greatness. Go ahead. Yes, you are. And his follow-up book, we're going to have him back on when it comes out, is all about the subconscious mind, which I know oh, you are super love into. It, love it. But, but first... If you would like to see us live, we are going to be on the road a lot in the next in the next several months, and you can find out where you can see us. It's it's going to be John on stage. That's the big draw. I get it. It's John Tesh live, and you're, you're working on, on your you're, new book. You're on there too. I am. So if you like the podcast, there's a lot of stuff that's very similar to the podcast on there because you're working on your book, so you're telling a lot of the stories from the book. And if you want to come see us, it's teshmusic.com. Our next little run is going to be in Colorado. We're going to be in Denver and Colorado Springs. At the Soiled Dove, and then uh, where at Colorado Springs Church? Yeah, Springs, Springs Church. Springs Church, yeah. Springs. Okay, so we're going to be at both those places in Colorado, followed by a little stint in Florida. We're going to be all over the place. Yeah, it's four places in Florida. In fact, we're going to be playing at the Villages, which is this souped-up um, senior citizen uh, community. And I mean souped-up. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. You were there though, weren't yeah, you? Gas-powered golf. You carts, weren't. You weren't there. Last I've time. been to a place like it. Oh, you, there's not, you know you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying, hey, I'm at, uh, uh, I'm at uh, uh, Legoland. This is just like Disney World. It's not. It's not. It's not. You're gonna, you're this segment brought it. to you by Legoland. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. You're gonna, you, you're really going to love it because it's, it's crazy old people like me in golf carts drinking beer. 
All right. Uh, and it's a terrible mix of danger. So you mean like you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, yeah, so concerts. Yeah, so concerts, so teshmusic.com, great place to come see us live. It, again, John has been working on this book. And most people of your, I'll call it, just say your echelon, of your, of your level, they have a ghostwriter come in and write. When you, when you have a story to tell, they come in and interview, and then they write the book, and you, you know, insert some stuff, change it and, then it, and then you slap your name on it. But they, ha- they tried that for you, the publishers, and you fired, well, you didn't fire the ghostwriter. You said, hey, I'd really like to do this myself. Right, yeah, it was, it was, so you did uh, some interviews with the guy, and you, you're doing it yourself. So it's very exciting. You're testing out some of those stories on stage, though. It's, yeah, it, yeah. You know, I, I feel like I've been, I've been, I've neglected sending you. I feel bad. I don't like to send stuff to people because I feel like I'm, I'm saying, well, you got to read this, you know. But, mm-hmm. I, but there's some stuff I'd like to send you if you don't mind. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. Okay, you've I got know. my, you've got all my contact no, I know, information. I know, but I feel like you know, oh gosh, read this. It's like you know, the whole story of the Tour de France. I think you would like. I that. do, yeah. I do like that, and yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of the stories. But when you yeah. write it, you, yeah. you add more detail. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So everything from Tour de France to creating the radio show to Red Rocks to I mean, uh, every to your cancer journey, it's all in there. But most importantly, let's 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 kick off this interview that you did with uh, with Doctor Dow, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because... He likes to be called Doctor Mike because he's oh, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's great. It's a very I, personable I, approach. But I don't like going to a doctor because like, hey, Dr. Billy, you know, I don't just, you know. If he, look, if he's, if he's about to perform surgery on you, yes, it's not Dr. Billy. Like, yeah. It's like, like my, my oncologist name, name is Dr. Dr. Christopher Logothetis, right? Uh-huh. And he wants to go by Dr. Logo. I won't call him that though. It's at least it's a it's a version of his or, last name. Yeah, or Chris. I'm not calling him Chris. Yeah, but with yeah. the name like Logothetis, he's lies. doing everybody a favor not, by saying, hey, is it, I have a Greek name. Just Logos you know, it's like, fine. Dr. Andy. You know, no. <laughs> if he was a psychologist, Dr. Andy. Now, here right. is Dr. Yeah. Mike Dow, yeah, yeah. our interview with Dr. Mike Dow, uh, author of Think, Act, Be Happy. All right, we're here with Dr. Michael Dow, psychotherapist, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think, Act, and Be Happy. Dr. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, in your book, in Think, Act, and Be Happy, you have this notion that you can train your brain to be your own therapist. Now, two questions. One, aren't you writing yourself out of the job? And then two, <laughs> how does that work? Why is it important for people to be able to do that? How can you do that? Yeah, I think it's really important for people to realize that we are training our brain every day in what we do and how we think uh, in in the actions, the everyday actions that we are choosing. So I think it's getting away from this notion of, well, I need some heavy hitting, uh, you know, medication. And, and listen, there are some people who need medication, but I think you know, instead of viewing ourselves as this passive person who needs to quote take a treatment. I think it's really inspiring people to say, hey, you have a lot more power than you think if you can actually notice your thoughts, um, notice the behaviors. And, you know, great, great question. You know, am I putting myself out of a job? You know, the subtitle is, you know, train your brain to be your own therapist. And, you know, whether people do need some um, psychopharmacology and some medication or they're already in uh, psychotherapy or, or maybe they're even in an inpatient rehab. You know, I think this book is a great compliment because it, you know, it leads with the chicken soup for the soul stories, and then it tells you how you can sort of do the same thing, training your own brain, um, just by changing the way you think and the way you feel and the way you act. So, uh, so you make you make up a good point. First off, psychopharmacology. This is not necessarily to replace the medication that you're currently on, right? Yeah, that's correct, um, and it, it's just a shift in in terms of uh, being more active in training your brain. So you could absolutely train your brain while taking medication or 
Um, in, in for a lot of people, and I think this is the the people who are buying this book. You know, Americans are more stressed out. They don't have as much peace. Yeah. They, you know, they want to be more productive and, uh, you know, our commutes are getting longer. So we actually have less time at our desk. So we need to be more productive. You know, this book is, is, isn't really for uh, people who are uh, really needing to be hospitalized. This is for the, you know, the 99% of Americans who just mm -hmm. want to be a little bit happier, a little bit more productive, a little bit less stressed out, a little bit more optimistic, more grateful. Um, and, and for those cases, you can absolutely train your brain to have a little bit more of all of that. So, uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time in my car. I spend a lot of time trying to maximize my productivity around my kids' schedules and my own schedule. What's the number one thing that you want people to, to be able to take away? I want people to take away this one point. Uh, feelings are information, but they're not facts. Mm. And, you know, so when you notice, you know, I... Uh, you know, I just uh, <laughs> am recovering from a really bad uh, experience with a fixer upper uh, that we purchased. And I realized that, uh, well, we realized that neither one of us are fixer upper people. Right. Um, and this experience, some people are great at that. I, I became, you know, I can write books, no problem. But man, give me like a kitchen uh, that needs to be, you know, some cabinets need to move because X, Y, and Z. I don't understand that at all. So I found myself in this in this situation, right, where I felt completely paralyzed for a couple of days. Yes. And and it's it's and I think we've all had that experience, you know, and one of the thought patterns that I help people to identify, there are seven in the book, um, is this thought pattern of paralysis analysis, where you're ruminating and then and that's what I was doing, right? I was so stressed out about this uh, fixer upper and realizing we weren't fixer upper people. Um that I was ruminating and and just and not being able to take action, and I realized that I had to take my own advice. So every day, I did something that was either pleasurable or productive, and that actually got me out of that. But had I listened to my feelings, I actually would have just dug myself into a really deep hole of despair. Right. And, and instead, I sort of was able to move forward. And it's you know little hacks and tricks like that that I think we all need when you've had a bad day or you had a you know, a, a really bad interaction with your boss or your kids are stressing you out. And sometimes you want to rip your hair out and say, oh, my God, how am I going to, you know, juggle work and life and, you know, parenting? You know, I, th I think we all have to, to use use it as information and then sometimes take the contrary action uh, to get ourselves out of those, uh, you know, negative feeling states. So is, is the reason you combine something productive and something pleasurable, is it almost Pavlovian? So that people associate in their brain the good thing with the just getting something done thing? Yeah, I, I think it, it is really an association because, you know, it's it's training your brain uh, to be paradoxical, right? So it's, it's, it's acting as if you're happy, especially when you're not. And, mm. you know, I like, to, I like to mix and associate the brain's negative states with both productivity and pleasure because I, I think we all need equal parts of both, right? So if you're, if you're having a really bad day, you know, if you just sat around all day and just did fun things and, you know, t took a bath or went to the movies or... I'm going to stop you right there. That sounds great. Thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> all, you know, all of that. And, uh, you know, but we also have to uh, really be productive, right? And I think actually if we balance that each and every day, that's changing the, you know, the book is called Think, Act, and Be Happy. So that's changing the act. And, you know, there's sort of a triad between our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors. Mm -hmm. And the great news is, is that you only have to, if you start to change one of those things, 
uh, you're, you're actually going to, uh, it sort of, they're all sort of interconnected. So sometimes you can change your feeling by, by identifying, changing the thought patterns, or, you know, in, in this case, uh, we're changing the behavior, which actually helps you to have uh, more positive thoughts, which helps you to feel happier. So that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is all about is that triad of thinking and, and acting. So, I mean, it, it, how different is this from the concept of fake it till you make it? It's, it's actually quite similar. So it is sort of fake it till you make it. It is act as if. Uh, but, it, you know, I also wanted to give people, you know, what I call a me too moment. You know, when I'm leading group therapy or have, you know, in the past with, with adolescents and adults who are going through similar um, struggles, whether it was grief or uh, recovering from abuse, there's something really magical that happens when you have a me too moment. So you're sitting in a group or somebody tells you a story and they, and they say to you, I know what that feels like. I'm in your shoes, right? So that's, you know, that's why I wanted to partner with Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, on this because uh, what, what other book company in the world is known for, you know, a bunch of real uh, life stories penned by the people who went through the experience. So you have that me too moment and it sort of, those stories help to acknowledge your feelings. So I don't want people to push their feelings away. It's find a, it's kind of finding that sweet spot between, uh, you know, saying, wow, you lost somebody in your life. Oh my God, that's how I feel. Me right. too. So you sort of validate the feeling. Uh, so you're not ignoring it, but then you, but then you, yes, you do move on to that fake it till you make it or that acting as if you're happy, which actually helps you to be happier in the long run. That's interesting. So the this idea that acting like you're happy, faking happiness, or at least putting yourself in the mindset that I'm happy will actually have the same long-term, you're seeing at the neurochemical level or just at the attitude level? Both. So we know that it actually changes uh, neurochemicals, uh, dopamine, serotonin. You know, there's a really interesting study that I love where subjects had to hold a chopstick in their mouth and they had no idea what they were doing, uh, hmm. uh, but it was forcing a smile onto their mouth. And then they oh. had, you know, and then they are sort of assessing uh, their mood. And then there was another similar study where they were looking at mood and Botox, people who couldn't actually frown. Oh. And they found that the, even the putting a smile on your face and, you know, and, you know, validated by these two studies, people who are actually smiling, even though they didn't know they were smiling, they thought they were just doing something weird by holding something in their mouth. Right. People who can't actually frown actually have more happiness because happiness is a feedback loop. You know, mm -hmm. I think that people think that, oh, if I do this, then I'll be happy. That's a very linear way of thinking about happiness. But happiness is actually a feedback loop where even the even the way you're holding your face is connected to the way you feel, which is connected to the release of dopamine and serotonin. So, you know, it's it's interesting that cognitive behavioral therapy and, and sort of the tips in this book help to sort of get in there and then change the feedback loop, at, you know, and wherever you enter the loop, you're, you're making a change because that change then sort of creates a snowball effect of more and more right. happiness. So, so it doesn't really matter how you get started. You just need to do something happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some people are better at changing the thoughts. Other people like to change the behavior. Um, it doesn't, and yeah, the good news is it doesn't matter where you start because it, it all works. You know, I'm, it, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of mindfulness meditation, keeping a gratitude journal. Does that work into this system? It really does. So there are actually uh, in the little workbook section at the end of each chapter, I have a lot of mindfulness meditations um, and then a workbook to, to, to sort of help people reflect on how mindfulness 
uh, which is integrates really nicely with cognitive behavioral therapy because mindfulness in the present moment is all about noticing, you know, things like your breath, but it also can be applied to your thoughts. So I have a thought stream meditation, which is a mindfulness meditation in the book. So you're not reacting, but moment by moment and breath by breath and thought by thought. You're noticing what is on your mind in the right here and the right now. Uh, and, and that mindfulness actually really is quite potent. And then in the gratitude chapter, you know, I give some scientifically proven tips to help people uh, become more grateful. And, you know, there's this really incredible story. Uh, it leads with this story of, uh, of a couple who are down on their luck and this aha moment where their child was in the backyard. And even though they, you know, they had to move into this rundown house, the child was a paying attention to the flowers and the fact that she got to play in a yard and it helped the mom have that aha moment. Uh, but then I also help you to take that to the next level. So you don't just walk away with the aha moment. Then what you do is you scientifically use gratitude. So for example, we know that being grateful a couple times a week is more potent than being uh, intentionally grateful every day. Because, oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because what it does is it is it's creating a, a novel event where the brain is like, okay, today is like the gratitude day and I'm gonna be really grateful today. So better to be really grateful on Sundays and Wednesdays than it is to be a little grateful Sunday through Saturday. And then I have a, a, a guided journal exercise where all you do is use this one word. You know, So if you're listening, uh, just use this one word because. So instead of I'm so grateful for all the love and friendship that I have in my life. You know, that's sort of very general. It's not very specific. Right. But if you say because, you can say, I'm so grateful for, and, and you get really specific. So I'm really grateful for my friend Kathy because when I was going through this real estate disaster and trying to fix up a house and I had no idea what I was doing, she was really there for me. And, you know, my friendships are what kept me afloat. Hmm. And she is always somebody that I can count on. And you can see how it, it's, it's making it specific. It's making right. it intentional so you don't have gratitude fatigue. And then it's really taking you down a path where you're really, truly grateful in a really deep way. And that seems to flow really well into the idea of mindfulness, that you're just, by being aware of the specifics, you're, you're really aware of what you're grateful for and what is good in your life. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think mindfulness is, in, a, in and of itself, a practice uh, and optimism uh, is practicing optimism because you are really learning to say, okay, this is what I notice. Um, and it really helps with the negative thoughts, you know? So instead mm -hmm. of j judging yourself for having a, a thought, uh, you know, we all have those human thoughts of, you know, somebody, somebody cuts in line and you really wanted to be first in line, but you know, the kind thing to do is, you I know, drive just... <laughs> in Los Angeles, Dr. Mike, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, right. So yes. instead of judging yourself for that, Oh my God, you blank, 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 beep, beep, beep. You cut me off. Were you in my car this morning? Uh, I, I was, uh, maybe I was on the 10 in front of you <laughs> or La Cienega. Um, but you know, we can actually, we can actually just notice that and then we're kinder to ourselves because what happens when we're not mindful, you know, we have that thought and then we judge ourselves for that thought. Mm -hmm. Why am I so impatient? And then that leads to more negativity. Whereas with mindfulness, it's sort of the, oh, I see you negative human thoughts, you know, and it sort of normalizes negative thoughts. And then you can go on and you're just sort of free of that. 
And then you can go on to think of, you know, how great it is that you're in this car going to a job that you love. Right. Um, and, and so the, the, the thoughts of happy, the happy thoughts actually flow, uh, a little more freely and they're not blocked, you know, because negative thoughts, when we don't know how to control them, they sort of form a dam and then it sort of gunks up our, the freely flowing happiness that we want. Okay. So I hear what you're saying. Find the happy moments. Like your point, I'm, I'm riding in a car to a job that I love. Cars in and of themselves are kind of amazing that you're able to drive 30 miles in, you know, under an hour to get to someplace. It's, it's a fantastic piece of technology that we take for granted. I get that as much as I hate being in my car. I understand that. But what about people that have a hard time finding that, that first thread to pull on their depression, who have a hard time finding that one good thing uh, to really focus on and build that feedback loop? Some people right now are walking around and they are so in the dark, in their own darkness, that they don't see that. Yeah. Uh, and what's the advice that you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think if you read some of the stories in this book of people who were so low, you know, there's this incredible story about this uh, young lady who uh, was diagnosed with depression and was taking medication and her, on her first day of college just lost it. Uh, but then in that moment, you know, this one kind uh, person talked to her and and she disclosed uh, that she had depression um, and and she, you know, and that set her free. Or there's another story of two people, uh, both in wheelchairs, who were told that they really shouldn't be able to have a baby. Um, and they went through IVF and it was going to be safer to have a, a surrogate. Um, and, you know, the, the, the sister was going to be the surrogate, but it didn't work out. And then this this couple ended up having a baby um, and she carried it, uh, this baby to term with no complications. Or this other woman who was at the depths of, of you know, uh, you know, cancer and, and, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and how she turned her life around. And I think that's why the stories are so potent, because if you are somebody who uh, because the inspiration is sort of the OK, if that person can do that, if that person can be at the at their rock bottom I guess I need to look at where I am in my life and mm-hmm. realize that, you know, that there are a lot of things that I can do. You know, I love the serenity prayer. Um, you can use it in a non-spiritual way if you'd like, you know, just looking at, you know, what are the things that I have control of in my life right. that I can change and what do I have to accept? And then you, you hear all these stories and they're real stories of people who did incredible things, even though they'd hit rock bottom of, you know, years of smoking or cancer or you know, loss. And, and, and you realize that all it takes is that first step because, you know, the biggest skyscraper starts with just a single brick. So I think it helps people to take that, that first brick or that first thread to start pulling on that feedback loop. That's such a Dalai Lama quote. The biggest skyscraper starts with a single brick. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. It's a great thing. To, I'm going to needle point it onto a pillow and keep it in my house. What, Send me one. Send yeah. me one. What was that one story for you in putting this book together? What was the one where you were like, wow, if these people can do it, literally everybody out there can? I, I think it was that couple who were both uh, in, in, in wheelchairs, living, thriving, uh, who met at a wheelchair race. You know, so these are not people who are going to take, uh, you know, my brother lives with a disability. He, um, after a massive stroke, lives with paralysis. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the way, my, my brother's story is in the book, too. Um, but. You know, I think it was that 
you know, here you have two people who aren't going to, you know, sit around and binge watch Netflix all day because it's hard for them to get around. They are both going to, with their paralysis, go to a wheelchair race. And guess what? They fell in love and got married <laughs> after right. that wheelchair race and then continue to move forward. And, you know, maybe some people would say, well, gosh, how are two parents both in wheelchairs? One who has, you know, one of them, you know, is uh, there, she's not really a quadriplegic, but she has limited use of upper body and mm -hmm. uh, almost no use of lower. And, and the other person uh, in, the, in this relationship is, has no use of uh, the lower body. And you kind of think, well, that's going to be too hard, right? Mm -hmm. That's impossible. You can't have children and you certainly can't carry a child to term and, and have a healthy pregnancy. Well, they did. And you, and you realize that it was this, it was their mindset, right? It wasn't, I've treated so many people who think who's, you know, they come to me and they say, well, I'm, you know, I'm 43. So I guess I'm just too old for love, you know, and then, mm -hmm. I, and then I come back to the mindset shift of these two people who not only were going to going to do a race, despite being in wheelchairs, were going to find love. Yes, with paralysis. And yes, they were going to have a, a child and mm -hmm. have a family. And yes, they do. And what what was the difference? It wasn't the circumstances of their life. It was their mindset. It was shifting their mindset uh, that allowed them to fall in love, to have a happy marriage, and to have a happy family. So it's really not about your circumstances. It is more about the way you think and the way you act. And if they can do it, so can you. That's, I mean, that's the powerful message, right? Is if there are other people out there that you can find that are worse off than you, then we all have no excuse. Because when you talk about finding an excuse to sit around and binge watch Netflix all day, all I can think about is sign me up. But you're talking <laughs> about how much better it is to you know, steer your ship into the wind and actually find a way to, to move forward. Yeah. And, you know, I, I absolutely. And, you know, I am, I'm really fascinated. You know, a lot of us have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. but, but we also know that there's something in research called post-traumatic growth. Uh, so there is actually something, uh, you know, that adage, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. There is actually some, some proof uh, in, in that. And, and so if you are, you know, I think it's really easy for us to be happy, go lucky, positive people when everything is going our way. Sure. But if, but you know, as you, you know, you brought up, you know, Pavlovian, Pavlovian conditioning, if we can train our brains to actually do better, to act happy, to you know, to take those steps to be grateful, even when you've just lost some of your, you know, your belongings in a flood, or you have a flat tire, or you're going through a divorce. Well, isn't that actually a, a better skill and, and something that's harder? It's sort of advanced practice. You know, it's sort of the, okay, beginners can be grateful when they're happy, but really, if you want to get to the master class, you have to be, you have to learn to be grateful and to be optimistic and to take meaningful action and put a smile on your face, even when you're down. Yeah. And if you can do that, then you've really trained your brain. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the real trick, right? Is it, and that's the, that's that Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours thing. When you put in a lot of work, it's not the. It's not the victories that train you to be an expert. It's overcoming adversity constantly. They talk about that. My favorite team, I'm just going to put this out there. My favorite team is the Dodgers in all of sports. They had a rough road to the playoffs this year, but everybody's talking about how that will make them better and give them a better chance to win the World Series, knock on wood, because they had to overcome that adversity in the first half of the season. 
Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, my first book was uh, <laughs> uh, was a disaster in terms of sales. Um, and then my second book, uh, and you know, the, the irony, it, it was the it was what I learned from the failure of that book that allowed me to go on and and uh, write a second book that became a New York Times bestseller. Mm. You know, and and it was I learned so much with that failure. And I'm not saying I didn't feel like I got punched in the gut or <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. But, you know, I think I learned a lot about perseverance and what what to do and what not to do, you know, what works, what doesn't work. So if you're going through a divorce, if you're going through if you lose a job, it's sort of the okay, what did I learn? What worked? What did I learn? You know, insight is just so powerful. I mean, that's why people come to my office every week is is that insight. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I learning about myself? Um, and sometimes the most valuable lesson is what did I learn about myself that I don't like, mm. right. <laughs> or that doesn't work or that's not working for me. You know, it's, it's, it's some, in relationships and in jobs, it's a two way street, you know, what, and how do I, how do I pivot to become more strength oriented? And sometimes the feedback that the world gives us is, is our failures, right? And, you know, hopefully you know, we're going to learn a lot from our success, uh, but we can also learn a lot from our failures. Would what, what's the limit of this? Like, if I'm trying, this is essentially my own. I'm I'm self therapizing. I'm giving myself therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, with the tricks and tools that you learn in your book. Uh, so I I'm in this positivity feedback. I'm being intentional in my gratefulness certain days a week. Uh, let's say I'm making sure to get my exercise. Is there a limit to how far I can take this? Or is there a point where I need to, like, how do I self-diagnose that point where I really need a professional? Uh, if, if something is not working, you know, we talked about levels of, you know, I, I always talk about levels of care and I explain to people, um, you know, let's just keep adding and see and look at your feelings as information. If something works, do more of it. And if something doesn't work, then do something else or, you know, not aborting ship and, 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 and saying, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, hop off the ship, but, you know, adding, right? So if, if this book in and of itself helps you to change your thoughts and, and your behaviors and you feel happier, great. If not, maybe it's time to add outpatient uh, psychotherapy. If not, maybe it's time to see, um, you know, somebody, a psychiatrist or a functional med medical practitioner or somebody, a nutritionist, somebody who's going to help you a little more. If that doesn't work, uh, sometimes it's time for intensive outpatient treatment or for some people it's even inpatient treatment, especially when there's uh, things like um, uh, addiction involved. So it's, it's really you know, and you know, that in and of itself is moving people away from another one of the seven pitfall thought patterns I talk about, which is polarized thinking, right? This mm. all or nothing way of looking at the world where it's sort of the, okay, this is either going to work or it's not going to work. Which is pervasive in politics right now. One of my biggest frustrations about the world at large is that it's, it is exactly what you're talking about. Everybody is all or nothing on all of these different issues. Sorry. It's no, Keep I, going. I, I agree. It's a pet peeve of mine, too. Right. And if we can actually look for the gray area, whether you're talking about politics or you're talking about, you know, how you are, how you view yourself, you know. So, for example, if you use a lot of polarized thinking and if you're a perfectionist like I am and I'm a, I'm a recovering perfectionist, you're going <laughs> to you're you're going to you're going to find a thought pattern that sounds something like if I'm not a complete success, I'm a complete failure. Right. Right. So every like if you were going to grade everything in your life, if you throw a, a, a dinner party and it's a B plus to you, it feels like an F a failure. Right. Right. If if you have one 
half cookie and you're trying to eat healthy all day, it's like, okay, well, that day was a total failure. That's me. And then I give myself license to eat badly for the rest of the day. If and I eat the cookie, I'm like, oh, forget it. Now I'm going to have ice cream and a pizza and I'm done. Aha. So here's what I would interject. So for you, that moment right there, that is where I would want to interject and sort of change the way you think. Because if you can move, if you can notice, you know, the first step in changing your thoughts is noticing when it's a pitfall thought pattern, right? It's the identifying, oh, that's what that is. And in research, that has been correlated with people who are more depressed, who are more anxious. So if I'm doing that, and by the way, I do that too, and I have to catch myself, it's in that moment changing from polarized where it's sort of the, you know, blue states versus red states or perfect or A or F. And you sort of, you know, apply this gray, um, this gray, you know, this gray area thinking and you look for the middle ground and you, and you say to yourself, well, 95% of my day was really healthy because I started with some organic eggs and then for lunch I had a really healthy salad with olive oil and now I had a half a cookie. So actually uh, nine, uh, I actually am still at a A minus, right? So then the way you change your thoughts then affects your behavior. But if we allow polarized thinking, and by the way, people who um, anorexia, uh, those those horrific stories where you hear of like an Ivy League student uh, committing suicide because yeah. they they got a B, that's that's polarized thinking at its right. at its ex- most extreme, right? Because you have to be the best at everything at all times. And, and so it's really starting to change your thoughts, which then changes your behavior, and then it changes the rest of the day. And then I bet if you actually um, ate healthy for the rest of the day, you'd probably go to bed feeling really good about yourself. Yeah. I mean, so, so you're saying take the A minus, take the B plus, maybe try to do better tomorrow, but don't go all the don't take that A minus and say, well, it's not a 99, it's not a hundred, I might as well just quit. Yeah, and I think the, the other reframe is that if you're getting an A minus or even a C plus in one area of your life, it usually means that there's another area of your life where you are getting that A. Mm-hmm. And you know, it over the course of time, you know, there are some people who manage to hold it together and be, you know, they're they're the perfect parent and they're the quote perfect, uh, you know, perfect at work. And you know, but you can only hold all of all of those balls in the air. And be perfect for a certain amount of time, and then you know what I've seen in my office is people start to crack. Right. So I guess the, I guess the reframe is, you know what? If I had a C plus dinner party and cooked a C plus meal for my friends because I was an A plus parent that that day and my kid needed me, mm. well then in a lot of ways I'm actually just prioritizing uh, and and allowing myself to to really get the quote A's in areas of my life that are the most important. Yeah, so sometimes I feel so, in modern life, I feel so worn thin that I don't feel like I'm an A anywhere. I feel like I just keep being, I continue to be a C plus at everything, and that becomes really frustrating. How do I break out of that? I, I think it's really moving to the what's right mentality, you know, and, and maybe it's starting to grade yourself on a curve. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, so really bumping yourself up uh, because if you're grading sort of on your own curve um, and, and you're just sort of adjusting, you know, sort of, I guess, may, maybe be a reverse curve. Um, right, because if, you, if you're grading yourself on a bell curve, you get a C in everything every day, no matter yeah. what you do. Yeah, that's right. But Little statistics really, 101 for everybody out there. Bell curve, get a C no matter what. I mean, anyway, keep going. 
But, you know, also if you're grading on a curve, you know, if that's, if that's the C, I imagine that they can't, every area of your life can't be exactly the same. So if you're grading on a curve, you know, whatever you're doing the best at uh, should start to oh, feel like gotcha. an A minus, right? Yeah. And then also, you know, I, I think that uh, for people who don't have a little bit of that optimism training, which I, we do in the book, it's sort of the, you know, what can I do to, to look at the, to help myself look at the what's right? You know, I have this, we have this little fun exercise where um, there's, uh, you know, I help people to imagine that you, you're like a cartoon character with those thought bubbles coming out of your head. And you actually have to write down, you know, one of your thoughts. And then and then also then there's another cartoon bubble, which is, you know, what would you say to a friend who was going through a similar circumstance? And what would you say? And look at the difference between those two those two cartoon bubbles, what you think to yourself versus what you would say to a friend who is going through that. And if those two things are night and day, right, if you are so hard on yourself and you put a bathing suit on in the, in the department store and, and you say, God, I'm so fat, I'm never going to get a, you know, be in a relationship. I'm so horrendous. Why would I even go swimming? Why, you know, and then you think about what you'd say to a friend who is maybe struggling and, and maybe they're, you know, they're not a size two, but they look, they're really healthy. And you, and you think about how often you would actually talk to somebody in that way and, and really starting to starting to pivot and starting to move and, and look at and look at things in through that what's right lens because you know we know um, that that you know there are the studies you know for example once you cross the poverty line there's really no difference in happiness so you know the the miserable person who wins a lot the lottery is just going to be a really miserable person who has a million bucks right mm-hmm. so it, it's really about changing again going back to changing your mindset and changing the way you think uh, and that way, anything that you're going through can can really start to feel uh, easier, better, and you'll be you'll have more to be grateful for. All right, so we're in the middle of these seven ways of thinking, right? Yep. So uh, let's let's review where we're at right now. So there's the polarizing thinking. That's number one. Yep. So polarized thinking. Uh, paralysis analysis, uh, which we talked to, right, which is that um, r- rumination. Uh, then there is the pessimistic thinking. Now, pessimistic thinking uh, has uh, a couple offshoots. Uh, so sometimes pessimistic thinking can be uh, the catastrophic thinking, the worst case scenario thinking, right. the negative thinking. That all goes under uh, the the pessimistic thinking. And, and by the way, you're going to notice that these are all P words. Uh, so there, it's a really easy list to memorize, uh, so that you don't, um, uh, so that you can, re- you can remember this list and then you can start to identify it when it pops up. Uh, pol- polarized thinking we talked about that was that black or white thinking. Mm-hmm. Another one is the psychic thinking, right? So psychic thinking goes two ways. Either you assume that you're a psychic and you know exactly what other people are thinking, like your significant other or your boss, even though he or she hasn't verbalized it or vice versa. You expect other people to be a psychic and read your mind, even though you haven't verbalized it. Right. So you come home from a long day's work and your significant other, um, didn't, uh, you know, uh, just like threw a pizza in the oven and is watching TV and you think to yourself, God, don't they know what an important day this was for me? And I can't believe they're not more supportive and asking me how my day was, but you're not saying anything, right? So you're expecting your significant other to read your mind. Um, Another one, I think this one is really uh, common in depression and, and that's permanence. So it's sort of taking the way you feel right now. And of course, this is especially, uh, this tends to be a problem when it's negative. And, and you think, 
Well, and you know, there's a phenomenon in the brain called mood congruent recall, which means if you're sad right now, all of the sad memories of your life are going to light up and all of the happy memories are going to sort of be muted and they're, they're, you know, they're going to, you know, those lights are going to turn off in those areas of your brain. And that creates an illusion that your life is sad, has always been sad and Mm. therefore will always be sad in the future. Um, and you're always going to have disappointments like this. So don't believe that, right? Because that is a, that is a pitfall thought pattern. Um, and then personalization. Uh, personalization is is really that uh, you know we were talking about those thought bubbles. Um, if you're the kind of person who is always blaming yourself 100% for everything that people are doing, yeah. uh, you know you you don't get the callback for that job interview, and you think, oh God, I'm just not um, intelligent or charismatic enough in interviews. When the fact is that usually it has nothing to do with how intelligent or charismatic you were. It has to do with that. They just wanted to hire in-house or maybe you were too qualified and they wanted to hire somebody cheaper. So they wanted to hire somebody who was less experienced right. and, and, and and fantastic than you because they knew that if you took that job that you would probably leave them for another company in a year and they wanted to find somebody who was really going to stay. Yeah. Um, and I think – was that six? Oh, and I think pervasiveness. Um, so the pervasiveness is, is really instead of uh, – when you are struggling in your life, you know, I always think of the Titanic and the Titanic was supposed to uh, float even if it had a couple holes in it. Right. And it was it was supposed to seal off that that uh, that part of the ship that had um, water right. in it. And of course, that didn't work. So if you imagine that you're a ship and there's all these areas of your life, like your social life, your romantic life, your work life, your life with your friends, your volunteer life, your spiritual life. If one area of your life sucks, keep it specific. Don't let all the areas of your life suck because that's like the Titanic, every every you know compartment filling up with water. So if you've had a really bad day at work uh, and then you decide to cancel your workout and cancel your dinner right. plans, friends, now you're letting something that's specific and it turns into something global in your life. And now your whole now maybe your whole week is going to suck because you didn't have the ex- you didn't yeah. you know you didn't get that exercise you didn't have the support of your friends uh, where if you would have acted as if you were happy even if it would have been really hard to walk into that gym or walk into that yoga class or sit down with your friends when you're not in the best mood I guarantee you something would have happened during that dinner or uh, you know in that workout or when you walked out and you said you know I'm I do feel 10% better I'm really glad I did this instead of you know calling a, a you know, pizza delivery and plopping myself on the couch on that. Cause that would probably just make you feel a lot worse. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through. So we have polarized thinking, pervasive thinking, psychic thinking. That's three. What's next? Uh, uh, so I think we've talked about the rest, pessimism, yeah. pessimism. personalization, there it is. Uh, permanence and paralysis. There analysis. you go. There you go. Paralysis analysis is my favorite one just cause it rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's for me, uh, one of the worst because I'm the kind of person where I have, I have difficulty letting, um, things go, yeah. <laughs> you know? So if something, if something's great as a recovering perfectionist, I like it when things are, are going really well, right. but you know, it's sort of like I have a little, uh, you know, I can sort of fall into that. Well, when something doesn't go wrong, it's like, I just can't, it's really hard for me sometimes to let it go. It's sort of the God, why did, why did we buy this house? What, 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 you know, and I start thinking about it, I'm thinking about it for an hour and Mm. thinking about it for an hour, is anything going to change the fact that we signed the contract and we have this fixer upper on our hands? It's like, (laughs) there's, there's no amount of thinking that's going to undo that contract. Right. So now it's just, 
okay, what is the productive task that I can do tomorrow? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to call that plumber and I'm going to start with the plumbing and then I'm going to go to the roofing guy and then I'm going to go to the pool person that I need to, to, to refinish the pool and then I'm going to call the gardener. And then when I have that long day, I'm also going to make sure that I take my dogs on some walks because that's one of my best uh, stress relieving right. um, activities. And I'm going to make sure, you know, and you know, maybe I am going to watch an hour of, of, you know, uh, a great show on Netflix, but I'm certainly not going to watch six hours. Um, don't, so. don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> you've touched on this a little bit and I really actually want to, you've mentioned how important it is to walk your dogs, go to the gym, not order the pizza. How much does diet and exercise play into this? It is so much more impactful than we ever thought. Even, even, you know, I wrote a book called the brain fog fix that was really talking all about diet and and depression and and brain fog and anxiety and even dementia. And, you know, I wrote that book a couple of years ago and now the research is even stronger than just a few years ago. Uh, For example, we now know you know, because depression is also uh, associated with inflammation in the brain. Uh, so we know that really sh- uh, sh- potent anti-inflammatory uh, foods, especially uh, omega-3s, uh, there was a human study that showed that the Mediterranean diet, which, you know, I, I sort of recommend uh, what I call the Mediterranean diet, which is keto plus Mediterranean. So just yeah. basically a lower carb Mediterranean. So because most Americans, when they think of Mediterranean, they think of pizza and pasta and that's not it, but it's, right. it's the omega threes. It's the, it's the fruits and vegetables that have anti-inflammatory properties that also contain vitamins and minerals that act as activators that help your body to turn amino acids into serotonin and, and dopamine. So we know that the Mediterranean diet has been proven not just to prevent depression. But in patients diagnosed with depression, uh, you can actually treat depression with a Mediterranean diet. Uh, We know that exercise is more effective in the long run um, when compared when when it goes uh, exercise versus antidepressants and head-to-head studies exercise wins, you know? So, so we know that what is, what you find at the end of your fork every day. And, you know, this is part of the reason why I talk about, you know, training your brain, not with these big, I think a lot of people think that the only way to train your brain is to like go on a a week long silent meditation retreat. And by the way, that'll train your brain and that's great. But I think a lot of people don't realize that happiness may be as simple as what you have for your very next meal, whatever you find at the end of your fork for the very next bite of whatever you take today is a piece of you training your brain. So it moves out of this, this kind of thinking where people think, Oh God, this job is miserable. If I could only like take a year off and move to Paris, then I'd be happy. It's the, well, okay, maybe, maybe you would, but I mean, how many of us can afford to do that? Or right. have- I think everybody would be happy taking a year off in Paris. Let's just put right. a pin in that, guys. <laughs> right. And, and it, it's sort of more important to say, what can I do today to train my brain in these small little ways? And, and pretty soon you add up, a, you know, and every time you do that, you're 0.1% happier. And then you just put them all together and, and pretty soon you realize, oh my God, I'm now in the feedback loop of happiness, not the mm. feedback loop of of sort of pessimism. And the great news is, you know, you were talking about, you know, is this self-limiting or, you know, when, when does it, when does it stop? Well, the great news is, is once you get yourself in the feedback loop of happiness, it's actually really uh, quite easy to stay that, to stay in that feedback loop. Yeah. 
um, it is sort of a snowball effect and it just keeps sort of rolling down that hill and getting bigger and bigger and, and it just sort of you know creates its own momentum. Um, and then if you do have something in your life, as we all do, where some blip comes up and yeah, you're feeling uh, pessimistic again or you're struggling with something, you now have the tools to change the way you think and change the way you act so that you can get right back up on that horse and keep that feedback loop of happiness going as opposed to letting one negative event uh, you know, just sort of melt that huge snowball that you've been rolling for the last five years, right? It's sort of the, okay, maybe it's going to melt a little, but you know, you're just going to get right back on that horse. That's great. You mentioned going away for a, a one week meditation retreat. Obviously that's not a tenable solution for 90% of the people that are hearing this right now. Yeah. What is, what is your ideal meditation time? I read in one of your websites, it said 12 minutes. Yeah, I, I, I say at least 12 minutes because we know that you can see the effects of meditation in just 12 minutes in, in you know, in brain scans and in research uh, there. It, it it's helpful in dementia prevention and treating depression. So isn't it so great that it, in just 12 minutes, because a lot of people, if, especially if you don't meditate, if you say, oh, just give me an hour a day, it's like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. Right. Um, and sort of, you know, so I sort of take the opposite approach and I just set, sort of say, OK, let's I, if you're not exercising, just start by walking, making sure you're walking one mile every day or, you know, with meditation. And there are a lot of uh, meditations in this book that are about 12 minutes. So it's OK. I'm going to do this meditation. And if this meditation really spoke to me, do that meditation three times a week and then, you know, pick another meditation from the book uh, and do that for 12 minutes a day. Um, and, and it's sort of you know, in a lot of ways, it's sort of lowering the bar, which I guess sounds <laughs> when you first say, I, I, I want people to lower the bar. If you have a low bar for yourself and you exceed that, if you meet right. or exceed that bar with, you know, one of the other, uh, cornerstones, cornerstones of this book is creating smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time sensitive goals. And which helped somebody who, uh, had to lose 150 pounds, lose 150 pounds. And all she did, you know, and I help people to do this in their own lives is say, instead of, you know, when we set a high bar and we say, I have to lose 150 pounds. Wow, that bar feels really right, hot. Right, right. Right? Versus I am going to commit to losing at least two pounds a month by changing my diet and exercise every month for the next 12 months. Wow, okay, well, that seems pretty doable. And then if you set a low goal and an achievable goal, then you blow past it and then you feel really good about yourself and then the next month becomes even easier because you're feeling so good versus setting yourself up with these huge goals and you sort of just, you learn how to chunk goals for yourself so that you just start to feel a lot better um, every, every single day in, in moving through this world with a little bit more grace and ease. Well, to your point, I mean, you're saying, I, I know it seems like a cop-out to say, what's the bare minimum I could be doing? But it's nice to know what that bare minimum is. So if you have no way else to do it, you can just do the 12 minutes. I don't have a continuous hour in my day. With children and a job and everything else, there is no way I could find one continuous hour to meditate. I can find a continuous seven hours to watch Netflix, but I'm usually doing other stuff <laughs> in, the, in the meantime. But right. point being, like knowing that 12 minutes is that minimum effective dose, then I know, okay, if I have a half hour, I'll do it for a half hour. But I, as long as I get that 12 minutes, I'm getting the benefits. That's an important psychological barrier for a lot of us. 
I think it is. And it really can help uh, with all of the big goals, you know, and if you read something in the news about, you know, millennials aren't buying houses because they don't have the, you know, they don't have any savings, um, you know, or whatever it is that you're struggling with. It's just taking it and breaking it down into these baby steps. Uh, because, you know, I've seen in my practice that baby steps really help people to create significant change. Um, you know, baby steps are what help, you know, there's another incredible story in the book that I just have to mention this woman who literally would, was agoraphobic, had panic attacks and would lock herself in her own bathroom and not let people come over. She was, and, and and of course, uh, she was also deathly afraid of airplanes, right? So this is somebody with a pretty significant uh, anxiety disorder or disorders. And, she, uh, baby step by baby step at a time, you know, left the house and then she even forced herself to get on planes. You know, she forced herself to take a vacation with a friend and, and get on that plane, um, and teach her brain, um, that her, that through her experience by changing her behavior, the way she acted, it changed the way her brain was wired because her brain learned, Oh, I can do this. And you know, this woman is a writer and, you know, not too long after she had trained her brain and conquered her fears by baby step by baby step at a time getting on that airplane, uh, she got a call and she was one of the writers being considered to write Celine Dion's biography. And she had to go to she had to fly to Las Vegas to get the job. And then she got the job and she was required to keep flying to Vegas to, you know, to work with Celine and to, wow. to get her words on paper. And now if you Google her name, you know, her, her name's in the book, uh, Jenna Glazer. Uh, you'll see that Celine Dion's book, it's by Celine Dion and Jenna Glazer. And this was somebody who was literally afraid to leave her house. So if she can, uh, if she can baby step by baby step at a time, go from, you know, hopping on planes and, you know, talking to Celine Dion, uh, uh, when she used to be afraid to leave her house, uh, then yeah, I, I think that whatever you are facing, baby step therapy works, uh, wonders. I hate to bring this up, but that is almost exactly the plot from what about Bob? Richard Dreyfuss' character wrote a book called Baby Steps. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray is agoraphobic, and it's baby steps all the way until he drives Richard Dreyfuss insane. But the part about being successful with baby steps is 100% from that movie, so that's amazing. Um, we are, we've taken up a lot of your time, and I want to say, first off, thank you so much, Dr. Mike, for, for spending all this time with us. The book is, is Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think, Act, and Be Happy, Dr. Mike Dow, psychotherapist, wrote the book. He's our guest today, obviously, if you haven't been paying attention. Uh, before I let you go, though, Dr. Mike, I want to talk to you a little bit about what your process is. So you've you've got a practice. You write books. This is your what number book is this for you? Uh, is this my sixth? <laughs> so you've written enough books. You have to yeah. count them out in your head. Yeah. You don't even know. Yeah. I know yeah. I've written zero books. I don't have to count that. Uh, what is your, what does your day look like? You got a fixer upper, you've got two careers. How do you start your day? Uh, my day every, every morning is a, is a ritual. It is, uh, just that long walk with the pups with, with coffee in hand. And, you know, that allows me to, to really reset. And, you know, for me, exercise, uh, about six to five to six days a week is really what allows me to reset. Uh, mm. you know, so if it's, if it's writing or, and, you know, the flurry, you know, working in television to, you know, doing talk shows, you know, I'll, I'll get emails and they, you know, Hey, we need you in New York tomorrow. Can you hop on? You know, I, I remember one time I was at the gym at 8 p.m. and they they called and they said, "Can you be at LAX in an hour? We need you wow. on the on the red eye, and then we need you straight to the studio." 
And, you know, so it's, it's creating a day for yourself where you control as much as you can with those rituals, whether it's the pr- productivity or those, you know, for me, it's my workout and, and walking our dogs. Um, so that when life hands you all of the other stuff, uh, you can get on the phone or hop on that plane or do anything that you need to do because you have, have really trained your brain in a way, uh, that, that allows you to be successful despite the hiccups and the, and the, and the, and the, the tough stuff that life throws at all of us. Uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure people know about or, or should they just buy the book? Yeah, I think buying the book would be nice. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, I love the title of this book is I think when people hear that term cognitive behavioral therapy, it sounds like a lot of, you know, medical mumbo jumbo. And it's like, well, what is that really? Um, you know, and, and I, I tell people that cognitive behavioral therapy is really this. The, the C, the cognitive is changing the way you think. The B, the behavioral is changing the way you act. And that helps you to be happy. So uh, another way to think of this, you know, this really complicated term of cognitive behavioral therapy is you think, you act, and you become happy, which is why, you know, I really love the title of this book. It really helps uh, CBT to be really usable, um, simple, easy to understand, and uh, clinically effective, whether you just want to be more optimistic, have a little bit more joy, more pr- productive uh, days ahead of you. Uh, it, it really can work wonders, and, it, and it's proven. So that's great. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Uh, I'm at, uh, Dr. Mike Dow across all social media or my website, Dr. Mike Dow, D-R-M-I-K-E-D-O-W.com. And I'm going to put a link to all of those in our show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for listening. That's it for our show today. Uh, as always, I am Gib Gerard. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you didn't like the show today, please ignore us. If you no. would like to follow, that was up a with great this. interview, by the way. You know, it's like the, I I love anything that's that's self improvement. You know me, yes, personal development, self improvement. It's it's so great. And this is one of those interviews that, folks, I really think that uh, I think it did a great job. And sort of the the, the what you, he wants to be called, Doctor Mike. Yes, right? it's okay. good. Call him whatever you want to call okay. him. Anyway, Doctor Mike. Uh, but I think you should send it around to your friends. Okay. Because it's very, very yeah. not, not you. Oh, okay. <laughs> My friends know what I do. <laughs> no, but folks, if you're, when you're listening, and we know there's a lot of when we're on, when we're on the road, people always mention the podcast. Speaking it's of great. being on the road, if yeah. you want to see us live doing similar stuff to what we do on the podcast, and also music, and also more stories and multimedia presentations, check out teshmusic.com. There's a link to that in the show notes, plus a link to all of our social media sites. John is Facebook.com/slash John Tesh. That is where most of our action is happening is at facebook.com slash John Tesh. But if you want to follow up on Twitter, it's at John Tesh. On Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on all the relevant programs. Again, platforms. Again, links to all of that in the show notes. What else, John? Wait, it, it must be cool. You don't really have a Google ganger, do you? Is there, is there any other Gib Gerard? It's not, right? No. I mean, there's like, there's overlap. There's a, fam- there's a famous um, there's a famous photographer. And her last name, her last name is just Tesh. she just goes like Madonna. She just goes by Tesh. Uh huh. Yeah. And then there's also a. Do you uh, get a lot of Google alerts from that? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, you know, if you because if, if you Google most people's names, you, sometimes I'm searching for an old friend or something. Yeah. And uh, and it'll pop up, you know, like like twenty of them. But yes. you, don't, you don't have that. I don't have that. 
You, I imagine it's a little annoying that there's a photographer with the last name Tesh that you're with the name Tesh. I'm sure it's really irritating for her. She's like, oh, I got oh, somebody no, wrote an article I, about I know me. It. Oh, I know it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and she's like it, you know. She's like an Andy Warhol level, you know. And it's yeah. like, oh, the guy that used to read the celebrity birthdays <laughs> on Entertainment Tonight. Hey, Thank you so much. She chose to go no, by one name. We're not related. She could have gone by Deidre, but instead she yeah, goes by yeah, Tesh. Yeah, okay. So thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.